This is a podcast about the hardcore community. Made by and for those who live authentic lives and embrace hard truths. We archive the stories of the bands and people who make this lifestyle possible. I'm Josh Lyon. And I'm Greg Benoit. And this is the Hardcore Archive Podcast. Uh, Welcome to episode 133. Uh, I'm Josh Lyons. With me, as always, is Greg Benoit. Uh, We're jumping into uh, foreign territory again for this episode. We're doing another interview with an Australian band. Uh, Actually, I think the same city, too, Melbourne, as as, uh, Threshold. Yeah, we interviewed Threshold, who's also from there a couple months ago in the interview, like a month ago. What's that? That was it, James. You spoke to or? Uh, I forget. There was two of them. Tanaya and Tanaya. Yeah. I think James was the other guy, the guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on. He runs New Ethic Records. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I. I all right. So yeah, we're talking with Tyrone now, obviously, uh, oh. from uh, Persecutor, who's from Australia. Yep. Uh, so how's everything going for you, Tyrone? Yeah, pretty good. As I was saying, I'm on holiday, so just chilling, you know. Um, so that's good. Um, but yeah, thanks. I uh, really appreciate you guys having me on, on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So right, right before we hit record, I just want to get, get this on Mike cause it was pretty cool. Uh, you've got a first step hoodie on, right? You want to tell us the odyssey you went on to obtain <laughs> that? Yeah. So people in Melbourne know me like Tyra, like Posse Tyrone, like, um i've always like loved youth crew i'm 34 now but i've loved it since i was like uh you know 18 um when i sort of discovered that it's kind of hard finding sort of uh sort of um non-popular hardcore bands like that are not like terror or or things like that um so like trying to find like different youth group bands was always a bit of a journey but yeah, I uh, I really loved the first step. They always really spoke to me when I was in my early twenties. You know, as as a young man just trying to find themselves and stuff. And a lot of that those lyrics and stuff was really like um, profound to me at the time. And still, I still take comfort for that band and the message they do. And um, yeah, being in being down under, um, trying to find sort of more crucial merch at times that's not Judge or or Youth of Today or you know um, that kind of stuff can be pretty hard um but yeah so I just sort of scoured a lot of like chats and like merch swaps discussions on Facebook and stuff and eBay and I can't remember where I found this but I found it and this is like a first step um open arts and clear minds live wire records hoodie so I was pretty stoked when I got it and I've had it so I always um make sure I don't put it out in the sun when I I do my washing because I don't want to sun bleach that shit anyway yeah that was a classic era for that band and like i mentioned before we hit record i actually booked those guys a couple times up here in rochester new york so it's it's cool to me to see that that band held a big influence so many years later and people from other countries even were you know taking notice and looking for their merch uh you know after the fact or whatever i I think they had been broken up by then right because i know they played some reunions yeah yeah yeah, i think the yeah like i mean the closest i think we got was um who, who came down i think it was uh maybe it was betrayed i think they came and they played with australian band last nerve um and then like aram was was playing um i think that's probably the closest again but i was like too young when they came like i was like maybe one or two you know and you like one or two years just too young for like for a tour or something like that yeah it was like that um i mean apparently they covered up like i think it was in queensland they covered like uh they did an impromptu like 
Carry On set, which are, the Carry On is one of my favourite bands as well. I've got like Tattoo of Them and Instead and, and First Step as well. And yeah, I was kind of, I hear stories of it like on in the scene of like from old heads being like, yeah, they're like covered Carry On and shit. I'm like, fuck, oh, that would have been sick. Yeah, so I love all that shit. Yeah, Carry yeah. On LP is great too. I, I You know, it's crazy because preparing for this interview, I was all stoked to talk about like crossed out and man is a bad oh, I love all that like shit that, too. yeah when know, i was listening yeah. to, when i was starting to get like i remember when i was like 17 18 i was listening to the gorilla bits seven inch um and like a bit of youth like a bit of youth of today um and sort of just like sort of main and then mainstream stuff i was listening to a bit of emo metalcore like just everything you know i i kind of like just like everything I don't I don't think I never went through that phase and actually it's funny when I see young kids come through and they're like oh I like this music so I've got to be like this I'm like I've never understood that I'm like motherfucker I like I like what I like you know what I mean who cares <laughs> it's all you know you got to you're gonna grab things from different genres but yeah I, I was listening to Crossed Out and Infest and stuff back then too as well so yeah it was a bit bigger actually so I think it was a bit more of a trend like a it was a bit more Power Violence was in vogue when I was like eight, 17, 18 and stuff with bands like Extortion and stuff being pretty prominent back then as well. So, yeah. Uh, I guess before we jump into like bands and shit, so it sounds like you kind of found hardcore over there in Australia, like around the like mid 2000s, maybe like mid to late 2000s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I got into kind of like um, got into, I didn't, I didn't get into punk through Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> I got it through my friend showed me like some 41 and at the same time was like, you got to listen to like children of Bodom and like in flames and like metal and shit. So like I had this wheel and then I went to local shows in like regional um, country Victoria, which is a state in Australia um, where, you know, Melbourne's the capital city of Victoria. And um, yeah, there was just like just metal shows, but then there'll be like touring metalcore bands and shit, like when they had two vocalists and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was just always like a bit of a hodgepodge and emo was really big as well. And I, I liked that too, you know? So um, yeah, it was kind of, I kind of found hardcore through that path. Yeah. Rather than like the punk way. Yeah. It's fine. People who listen to the podcast regularly will know the last episode we just posted we had like a really long discussion about how great ska is and like how much ska we like all were listening to. Hey, which era? Like, which era? <laughs> most, mostly like the mighty boss tones. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, like just before they broke with the impression that I get, that's like their best stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, when I listen to that kind of era of ska, it always reminds me of like, same with like, uh, like pop punk, like some 41. It's like those like really like 2000s, um, like teen movies and stuff. I don't know why, because I always... <laughs> Chuck that in there yeah anyway so I, I think like what you're kind of describing getting into first is like obviously like the bigger stuff like like at what point did you did you discover there was like a local like more like diy scene i guess um well i, I in when i was a kid there was a lot of like local always like a local all age uh contest going on but they were just a hodgepodge of like your local metal band or a punk band or maybe a metalcore band like playing through and stuff like that um and it was kind of like a like that was in rural victoria um and then uh and then like meeting people in in that kind of like local music scene and then people being like oh I like like you know Parkway Drive or and then and that's like I found Parkway Drive like as I like dying and that more medical stuff which was like the gateway that I am I found 
like more hardcore hardcore and then i met people who were like oh you know have you checked out like the gorilla biscuit seven inch or something like that and like and so i kind of found it through that but it was very like and then there was like a lot of there was like an australian there was a lot of strain hardcore like um uh the carpathian and um her nightmare with like two melbourne bands um that i listened to a lot and then you had like 50 lines which is uh, the singer of Parkway's brother, um, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, then people would like jock and extortion a lot um, from Perth and then there was miles away from Perth and stuff. So, yeah, I listened to a lot of Australian hardcore for a long time. Um, and then it was like through listening to those bands and then I'm like, oh, I'd see a shirt that like, you know, that'd be repping and then or, or people would be like, oh, if you like this. Like for ages, I didn't realise that Miles Away covered Broken, which is a turning point song. And I just thought, like I didn't, I don't know, I was a fucking dumbass kid. I didn't really realise, didn't really, it wasn't really clear that it was a cover. So I just thought it was their song. And actually it was really funny because I actually loved that song. I was like, oh, this is their best song. And then me being like, as I got older, being a bit more of a youth crew nerd, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, Tyrone. Of course you like that song. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. I think when we talked with Threshold, uh, Miles Away is definitely a band I feel like us Americans are familiar with. I mean, I'm familiar with them. And yeah, yeah, with Bridge like Nine. Couple... They, they, yeah. They were yeah. yeah, and there was a random band uh, that I just downloaded their LP. I think they were called like Jack Napier. I don't even know if they were from... Your oh yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. can't remember where they're from actually, but yeah, they were when I was a when I was younger. I remember that that band was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were having really cartoon. They had that really cartoon album cover look for a while yeah, with that the shark. Like, yeah, yeah. In the in the mid two thousands, you know, like comeback kid, um, like turned around and um, yeah, and who else? Uh, and like Donnie Brook. It was I think it's the same artist, but. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I never, I yeah. never put that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an artist as well, so like I always, yeah. I'm a visual, visual person, so I always like, if someone's like, oh, you know, this band or this album, I'm like, what did the cover look like? And then someone looks <laughs> later, I'm like, yes, I know what I'm talking about now. Yeah, that does make sense, and it was because that was like during the heavy download era, which I think we also have talked about on this podcast a few times. But like, I downloaded a shitload of stuff that I hadn't heard. Yeah. And I, that was what what attracted me to that because you were going through like blogs and shit and you would see the cover art and I was like, whoa, this is yeah, hundred really percent, cool. yeah, like on me, like the media fire, like links on the blogs and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. And um, yeah, yeah, because like I didn't, I discovered like you, like a lot of like a lot of hardcore from just like my friend had a folder and it was like you know shit that I wouldn't have found like organically really unless I like did the thing where you like look. What a, who a band is influenced by or who they thank or anything like that. Um, yeah, but it was like had like heaps of stuff on it. A lot of crucial stuff. And that's how I kind of got into the the music, a lot of the youth crew music I like because we were talking about that. So, yeah. Uh, so I guess kind of shift into the bands or, or Greg, unless you have something else you want to talk about before we start jumping into that. No, let's let's get into the bands because that's where all my questions are about. Yeah, so, cool. Um have you done any projects before Persecuted Tyrone or has anybody else in the band been in like, like bands and uh, shit? Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, a lot of, a lot of the members are pretty uh, seasoned uh, veterans in the scene and, and, um, and have done bands before. Um, so I've done like my first band was like, sh like a shitty youth group band um, called Right Minds. Um, but that was kind of like, did that for like five years, probably a bit too long for what it was and our talents at the time. But it was a really good um, formative band, you know, like uh, sort of learn about how to book shows, um, 
like sort of how to, to write lyrics properly and, and like recording process and all that kind of stuff. So I did that. And then I did a, um, a 90s metalcore band called Rebirth. Um, and that was, that was good. Um, yeah, that was, um, that went really well for the time. Um, we did it. Uh, we did an LP as well. We got to an LP level, which is always kind of nice, you know, if a band makes it to an LP, you know, um, which is pretty, that was good. I like that. Um, and it was straight edge, uh, which was cool. I always wanted to do a straight edge band, um, but in Australia, it can be pretty hard. Um, there's a big drinking culture here. And um, there was straight edge was popular for a bit, but I, it's not, it wasn't as never as big, I don't think, as as it is in America and stuff. So it's, it's always can be a bit of a challenge um, to, to find members for like a band that is like all members of straight edge. Um, so I did that and then took a break from uh doing music and then and now, now doing persecutor yeah dude um, i kind of want yeah i'm sorry i kind of want to touch on what you're saying about the straight edge thing because uh i've been checking out like tons of international hardcore bands this year and one thing that's kind of floored me is like a lot of countries are still heavy into the cigarette thing like not not yeah. necessarily australia but like i'll see a lot of uh promo pictures of bands like smoking cigarettes and i'm like looking nice. up like certain countries smoking population and i'm like holy shit like some countries still smoke a lot of cigarettes yeah it depends on like like culturally in certain countries it's still very like it's a like a status symbol like yeah. it, it, i think it's linked to class and stuff but um yeah, it's yeah just it's, really, i think you're totally right about that because when i went to i went to europe one time and i was blown away by how many people were smoking and like um you know like here in the united states i feel like smoking is something that's generally associated with with like you know, lower class, but over in Europe, it seemed like everyone that had money was smoking and the people who didn't have money weren't. It was like the opposite of the United States, but totally, yeah. totally blew me away. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that totally touches on the straight edge thing you're talking about, because whenever I see a lot of these international bands now, I'm like, I don't see a lot of straight edge bands and I kind of understand it now, because like you're saying, it's a cultural thing where the smoking and, and especially for a lot of other countries, a drinking thing too, you know, like, um, I think with the way like marijuana has become more uh, mainstream in the United States, it's kind of pushed away a lot of like cigarettes yeah. and alcohol. I think I also, mean, yeah, I, sorry to cut you off. I think oh, also fine. maybe that the fact that like, um, you know, Australia is, an, is a pretty rigid ideology that um, I guess can sometimes fall into the traps of that sort of 80s anti-drug rhetoric. And that as we get more progressive, um, and realize that like, you know, certain, like, you know, for example, marijuana has like medicinal benefits and stuff. It has, it's really hard to like sort of draw the line and like sort of apply that rigid philosophy. Like I love straight edge, like I'm straight edge for like fucking like 14 years and whatever, but you know, um, you know, I can see that like uh, it's inflexibility at times is hard to like sort of adapt to how, how sort of, values and, and cultural attitudes like globally are changing and it's kind of hard to like maintain that i guess yeah but i i do want to say too like you said the uh, like how straight edge has always been big in america i don't i don't think it's nearly as big here as it used to be like there's still some straight edge bands but like it just it just doesn't like i'm not straight edge but i definitely have respect for the culture and everything obviously but like i think like i smoke weed and i think a lot of people in the u.s are like me now because I, I see a lot of people like like posting pictures and shit on Instagram and shit. And I, I don't do that with the hardcore thing. You know what I mean? Cause I kind of try to keep things separate or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it, to me, one thing I've noticed, like, I, like I'm not, again, I'm not trying to talk shit, but I'll see certain bands that are of a certain age, like posting pictures with like weed and shit. And I'm like, yo, your fans are probably kind of young and, and it's, 
you're impre- they're impressionable you know what yeah. i mean so that's why i try to keep it separate you know what i mean like it's yeah 100%, yeah yeah i think weird. i think yeah that's that thing when you're in a band you i think i don't know like you sometimes have like that kind of like you're in the semi-public eye so you have some yeah. sort of responsibility of influence you know but anyway <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other <laughs> philosophical yeah, to- ethical discussion yeah yeah, not trying to derail things too far from the persecutor no, train here. Um, so, like we were I saying before, um, I do want to talk about the art while we're talking about persecutor too, because I had noticed that you do the artwork and shit. I know you started talking about yeah, that yeah, um, yeah. in the beginning of the interview. Um, but let's jump into persecutor too, I guess, because like we were saying yeah, before cool. we hit record, I noticed the 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 early era of the band was kind of uh, during a turbulent time for the world. So uh, let's jump into yeah. that. Like how did yeah, you like, so, like, go ahead? Yeah, so we started the band. Uh, well, I'm trying to think. Uh, would have been maybe like 2018. Um, and I started the band after having a break from Rebirth, so that was about maybe, uh, maybe three or four years or something. And I was kind of itching to really do a band. Um, Rebirth was like straight edge band, but it was also like a really like, um, like. A lot of like really political, like socio-political sort of bands, like think of bands like Trial and stuff like that. That was a big influence for me. Um, you know, like a talking band, yeah. <laughs> so um, so I was like doing that and that was important. And then um, like really, I wanted to sort of explore those sort of topics. But I always kind of felt like with those bands, you're talking about a lot of, lot of topics, but they kind of like still sit in the abstract realm of like, you know, you're talking about a topic and it can, you can feel important, like it's important to talk about or you feel passionate about it. But sometimes when you're trying to talk about it, especially like uh, we, you know, I was trying to, like I was writing about it and I was talking about it in a very like 90s way, like in that kind of 90s political way. So I was like, sort of was like, so, you know, those like those memes, like hard times memes about like, you know, get the podium up and have the sermon and shit. Like it was kind of very, very like that. Um, but as a person of color, uh, so just, everyone know my my dad's uh, South African um colored South African um and they fled apartheid and came to Australia um so I'm first generation South African Australian um so yeah being a person of color in Australia which is you know um it's a very white country still um thanks to a white Australia policy and um things like that and we had assimilation policy as well so we have a very multicultural society but the the um the cultural societal foundations are still very white like and things like that so um i've always kind of felt pretty out like an outsider and marginalized due to like racism when i was a kid um, and then subtle racism as as i've got older and things like that so i really wanted to do a band that spoke to my own experiences as a person of color and a, and a black person um and yeah so i wanted to do this band um less abstract about like you know i'm going to talk about refugee rights or i'm going to talk about you know imperialism or i'm going to talk about you know um class issues or whatever like and what and things but really like bring it back to like my own experiences um of racism and you know and what that entails you know like and things like that so and i was like oh i want to do a new band so want to do a, a band that sort of captured that that anger and the frustration and the pain and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, Pound Wines is really abrasive. And also I always like to do bands that, you know, I've done this genre before. Cool. I, as I said before, like I like lots of different music. I'm going to try this. You know, I like the challenge of being like, oh, I want to try something different. I just want to, don't want to fall into that same trap where, 
I'm like that motherfucker who who does like the same band for like their whole life, you know. I don't know, like that's fine. People can do that. Like you know, bands are all bands are pretty legitimate, you know, um, outlets of creative endeavors and stuff. But I always like that challenge of like trying to do something different um, and stuff like that. So I thought Power Vance would be pretty cool. And I, there wasn't a lot of there ha- there hasn't been really a lot of bands playing Power Vance influenced music. I wouldn't. I don't like to use the the label power violence per se for myself personally, because, you know, um, you know, same with like youth group, I guess, you know, it was a time and place thing and um, I'm influenced by that, but not necessarily like a part of that scene. And also I don't like to restrict myself. If I want to do something that's a bit different to the, you know, a band that sounds like a copy of crossed out, like I can't really add different flavors into it and stuff like that. So, so I do that. Um, So yeah, we kind of, uh, got the band together in a, and practiced in 2018 and recorded a demo. Um, our band members uh, was a guy, um, one of the founding members was um, a guy named Ahmed uh, Ruanzi and he's from Singapore. He was um, on a, on a sort of a temporary visa. Um, I think he was, it was a student visa, I think. Um, and he was over and whatever. And I seen him around at shows for, for for a while when we always got along and I said I want to do this band and it's going to be about pretty I want to represent people of color and you know I'm talking about racism stuff like that so I really want to like um you know gather people that I respect who are people of color within the scene and sort of bring them together because being a person of color within a scene that can feel very white it's not always white but it can feel that way um I wanted to sort of heal some of those Alien, that heals some of the alienation by like bringing people together that I respect um, and who can understand a lived experience with me. And so I got um, Ahmed. Um, I met a, uh, our bass player, Scott. Um, he's from Taiwan. He was just like on a traveling tourist, uh, like a tourist visa. My friend that he came to see, my friend's band, uh, friend's band uh, Boundless. And uh, my friend was like, fuck, like, you know, great that you've come to, to the show Scott but I'm like I'm about to play and I'm going to be really busy doing band stuff here's my really extroverted friend Tyrone <laughs> he will talk to you so we like kind of like uh um chatted and you know he's, he's a really lovely person and we kind of hit it off and he was saying that he's he's you know he played in bands I think these bands like Defeat the Giant um back in Taiwan and um we were talking and I was like oh you playing bands do you mm. so I uh was like oh I'm doing this project do you want to be a part of it and he and he was like yeah that sounds really cool so he is at the base and then um I had a, a a friend uh who was a really good drummer and he doesn't really do drums anymore he's in a band called Diploid um so if you like like kind of iron lung record stuff, check out Diploid. Um, they're touring Europe at the moment, actually. Uh, so I got him to drum. I kind of convinced him. I'm like, come on, bro. Like you're a machine back in the day on the drums. Like, you know, and then got him involved as well. Um, so we we're only a four piece at the start and we released the demo um, just two weeks shy of COVID. So, and then the COVID happened and then all the lockdowns happened. Um, for people in America who don't, uh, it's probably the same kind of same sort of strategies in place for COVID um, and, and quarantine and, and, you know, epidemic um, or pandemic uh, 
protocols, uh, anyone who was on a temporary visa or like, you know, nothing that they didn't have citizenship in Australia, um, they had to go back to their respective countries. So Scott and Ahmed both went back, you know, during the, the lockdowns and the, and the pandemic time and stuff like that. So yeah, the band really like stalled after the release. Um, so yeah, that was kind of really difficult because as I was saying before, um, before we hit record, you know, a, when you're in a band, you kind of release a demo and then you play shows and you get the momentum going and, you know, momentum as everyone, uh, um, you, have you guys played in bands as well? I didn't ask that before. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I've been in a bunch of bands and actually I'm in a band, the same, almost the same thing happened to us. We had a whole uh, EP written and we were yeah. going to go into the studio right around the time the uh, pandemic started um and then of course that obviously couldn't couldn't happen um we also are it's complicated because we have people living in different parts of the united states yeah, yeah. so we like drive and fly in to do these things but we wound up kind of using that to our advantage and we rewrote some of the songs so they came out i think a little bit better than they would have been yeah, if the pandemic had never happened but yeah, yeah. i kind of I kind of wish uh, if I if I had like a crystal ball and I knew that there was a pandemic coming, I wouldn't have fucking released the demo because it kind of like, you know, you don't have that, um, you know, a, a momentum for a band is really important. So if, if it stalls, it can be really detrimental to the band, uh, both externally and internally as well, because, you know, like, you know, the creative drive is there. And then if the momentum's killed in a band, that can really, really uh, be a really big barrier to like the longevity and keeping the band like with the traction of the band you know moving forward and that kind of stuff so yeah um the demo came out was it went, was received pretty all right like we sold it all um everyone seemed to like it but just because there was no like sort of leverage uh and backing playing shows it was just people like you know and we and the way we consume music now you know we all stream it i you know you get an album and you can't really tell you can't really say, oh, um, unless you really like being present and paying attention to it, you know, you, you might find a song and be like, yeah, that was a cool song. You don't fucking know what album it is on because you're just streaming it from the radio or whatever and whatever. And it can can get lost in the ether a lot. So, um, yeah, that was kind of a bit difficult. But after the pandemic, sort of like, um, well, I mean, it's still ongoing. I'm not going to um, shy away from that. But um you know, once the lockdowns eased and stuff, um, Scott was able to come back. Um, so he came in the band not to reshuffle because um, Ahmed, um, one of the family members, he wasn't, he stayed in Singapore. So I got out my friend Jeff, who um, is a fellow artist as well, which I know him through visual art. Um, and we're both very, we have very extreme radical left politics and stuff. And that comes through our art. But I knew he played guitar. He was a bit of a shredder. So I had, oh, actually, I actually emailed him as like second guitarist anyway. Like in my head, I was like, yo, if we become a five piece, I'm getting that motherfucker on, on like guitar. So then, because I needed a guitarist, I just asked him and he joined and he's um, Anglo Indian Australian. So, um, and uh, yeah, sort of talked about it. And he was really keen to, to join a band that like spoke to his experience as well, which was cool. Um, and then, yeah. And then we had that, um, and then we record like recorded the EP, which is um, yeah, well, I guess the our latest release, which is Babylon's Ashes. Yeah, um, I think you and I are kind of on the same page with the, you know, the what streaming and the internet has kind of done to hardcore. I feel like it's a real double edged sword because 
I can find so many bands I never would have heard of before. And in fact, like this podcast wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago, you know, for us to interview someone like you in Australia, um, we probably wouldn't have been able to do that. So I'm, I feel more connected, um, you know, to kind of the creative output, but at the same time, um, and I think you'll, you'll respect this as an artist, like I stream some bands, I have like bands that I like to listen to on the streaming services. And then I have bands where like, I'm really into them. I need the artwork. I need the lyric sheet. I need to be able to like, look at the art and the lyrics while I'm listening to the music to really kind of get the full picture in my head. And I feel like people are missing out on that. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with that too. Cause it's kind of like, you know, sitting down and listening to a record on your record player um, is kind of akin to reading a book. And, you know, mm -hmm. the of, like, if you think about from like, I guess, like, like a, a cultural shift due to technology and stuff like globally, like most people will stream a podcast um, or listen to an audio book um, rather than sitting down and, and, and reading a book now. And I don't know if that's because like social media has like shortened our attention spans and it's harder to, you know, I remember I was an avid reader when I was a kid. I like fucking read Lord of the Rings when I was 12. I'm a massive nerd. <laughs> and um, um, yeah, and I could like, I could do that. And that was like easy as, and then I'll try and go sit down and read a book now. And even just trying to like sit and read, I, I can feel my attention span struggling. So yeah. like, I don't know if that's like a, a like a symptom of, of all that, but I definitely think that like, yeah, all that kind of stuff um, sort of impacts um, people's ability or the way they consume music now. It's, it's very disposable again, you know, I, I guess, cause you know, um, you know, you'd hear um, band, like bands and stuff uh, on the radio and, you know, like that really commercial thing where it'd be like a one hit wonder or, you know, uh, executives and stuff would always just push like you know you just got to get a single out a single out you know and all these short form kind of like you know to 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 make profit or money or whatever it was and then you'd buy the album but I feel like we've got like the single part and like you can you consume like one song here and there whatever but then you don't go like back in the day you'd go and you'd buy the record you wouldn't necessarily um but now it's like you have to have that extra drive to do that now where it's yeah anyway that's yeah, I got, a, I got a lot of thoughts on some of the stuff you said. Um, my my job, um, you know, for the people who listen to this, they already know that, but my my day job is I'm a librarian. Yeah. Um, so, like, uh, I, I see it up front that, like, attention spans do seem to be shorter. And there's just so much competition now for, like, people's yeah, time and so. attention. Um, I, like, in fact, I encounter yeah. people, they used to read, then they kind of didn't read as much because they're watching so much Netflix and now, like, they don't even watch Netflix. They just, like, scroll on, on TikTok for, like, three hours in the evening instead of watching TV or reading a book. So uh, yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and, it, yeah, obviously, yeah, it's it's hard also as, like, uh, to figure out, like, um, I guess, yeah, with that competition as well. Like, yeah, it's not like how it used to be where, um, I think also there's like an oversaturation and I'm like, you know, most people like psychologically, we can't process that much information all the time. You know what I mean? So like, there's no wonder that like people get burnt out or, or like they just feel overwhelmed or, and things get lost in the ether because it's just, just the way things are like, you know, um, technology is like superseding our ability to evolve, to be able to keep up with like the pace of technology. I probably sound like a Luddite right now, but I'm, I'm not I actually love 
I love technology. I'm a big sci-fi nerd as well. So like I like technology, but it's just interesting to watch how people consume, how technology shapes everyone's ways they consume. Yeah. Well, and also being in, oh, sorry, um, being in, being in a band, uh, it's, it's so hard to tell because you like put stuff out on these streaming services and you can log in and see, like, even for this podcast, I can see how many people are listening, like practically in real time, but like, I don't know what that actually means until yeah, I'm at a show and we're playing the songs and like people are dancing or people are into it or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's like, great. My music's out there. And like people, you know, from other continents are, are listening to it. And that like, wouldn't have happened like 20 years ago or it wouldn't have happened in the same way. But yeah. um, like, to me, the music, the recording, that's like, secondary to the live performance um and yeah. i hope we don't get away from that as, as a community yes yeah i think you touched on a perfect word though tyrone and i was actually thinking of it before you said it is as, as and i think you can you can put it with hardcore movies pretty much anything with entertainment and i'd be curious to see what you think of as from an artist perspective too i think all this shit's disposable now man like i, I think about that shit all the time now with hardcore especially like and it makes me nervous because of yeah. like that whole it seems like even hardcore is in like a 15 minute cycle now, like shit will be cool for a little while and then people move on to the next thing. And like, and, and then another thing I've noticed too, is like merch is more important than music a lot of times now too, which makes yeah. no sense at all. You I know? think, I don't know, like, cause it's interesting. Cause like, when you think about it, like, you know, merch is like, you know, your greatest, uh, not to talk like, you know, like profit and stuff like that. But, you know, as a band, like you kind of want the band to pay for itself, like more almost like a non-for-profit venture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want to, the money comes in and pays for it, pays for itself. You don't want to have to be always taken out of your pockets. And the cost of living is crazy right now all across the world, you know? And so like, you know, doing bands or any creative type of creative venture is like really costly. And we don't always have the ability or the privilege. Most of us, you know, there is a lot of, people that are quite privileged to have uh, excess money or or whatever to be able to to put into but a lot of the money the bands make out like from it is it isn't a record it's or you know you, you don't see anything from streaming services you know um it's all about the merch so i feel like that's probably why uh merch takes precedent a lot of the time but also i don't know if it's the way that we're primed as we are uh, you know continuing the evolution of a hypercapitalist global society that like everything is marketable everything is a hustle and everything like that so like it makes sense that like the one thing that like uh is your brand which is your band on the merch is the thing that's going to sell and the thing that most people focus about i don't know if it's a symptom of of that because we're in a really highly consumerist culture you know streetwear brands um and all that kind of you know like vintage boots and like and all that kind of stuff is like really prominent so i don't know like merch has always been a part of hardcore but i yeah i agree that like it yeah sometimes does feel like you you know it can be the main thing and i think that might be a, a twofold thing it's because bands like a selling merch to try and keep the band afloat and whatever like that but then people that are maybe on the internet, you know, they're like people selling on Depop and stuff like that. Like it's the, that kind of hustle culture of like merch and like, and fashion and clothing, you know, which has always been a part of hardcore, but it was always about as, um, as you were saying as well, like the, the energy and the passion and like the live performance was there. But then you've also got like a lot of people that are entering into hardcore purely like from, from a like, um, um a later millennial to like um 
like a Zoomer kind of thing is like internet is like their primary reality, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that is their a lot of their living space. You know, most so so I don't know if if that's another reason why people like uh they like the currency of hardcore is always this is a merchant that's been like um uh what is it um it's like hyper realized into into just like it's all about the merch and the and the brands and stuff and you can post it on the internet because everyone's spending their time on the internet they'll see like you know hate five six videos and all that kind of stuff but that's not being at a show but also like I, it, it's interesting i don't know well, you touched on something there too that's interesting too, because uh, Speed, who's from your country, obviously, a Sydney, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Australia. Yeah. I know a rapper from Rochester who, at my girlfriend's 40th birthday party, he comes up to me and he he doesn't know anything about hardcore, and he t- he starts talking about Speed, and I'm yeah. like, how the fuck do you know who they are? And he said he saw yeah. a video on YouTube, like a documentary yeah. type thing, and yeah. what drew him in was the, like the clothing and shit that they're into is like some yeah. streetwear. Because they're very, they're, I didn't even yeah, know. they're very smart with their marketing and stuff like that. I mean, like a lot half like some of the members. Uh, I think they own a clothing label and stuff. So they're very clever with how they're marketing um, their stuff. And, you know, obviously they had like that video that went viral as well. Like, you know, the one where like they're driving on the bridge and it's like, you know, it's kind of like it reminds me of like a fucking terror video and stuff, you know, or like Madball, you know, like in this, you know, like this kind of shit. So like it was very, um, yeah, they've, they've they've been very smart in how how they market themselves and i think it's probably because they're they're smart with they have the experience of like marketing themselves as um as a brand because they they also run labels as well they've been in band like they've been in other bands in australia for like years and stuff so they they're they're well connected as well like it's not like they haven't put the hard yards and I'm not saying that, but I think that the way they approach it is they're, they're marketing themselves as a brand, um, a clothing brand rather than a band as well. So they're doing a kind of twofold approach, but I think a lot of bands are doing that as well. Like that's almost like what you have to do now, you know, because of like how the algorithms, um, you know, we're all, as I said before, like everything is really, everything's a side hustle and, and all our social media um, platforms are designed to do that you know they're designed to market a product so you know for whatever it is it's all monetized you know because you have to pay to to you know do all the stuff it's just how it is so i think we're we're feeling the effects of that because social media is our primary mode of communication but what does that mean when you when your primary mode of communication is also designed to make you into a business owner or a hustler or you know what I mean like so it's just interesting to watch how that is all unfolding I didn't realize we were going to get so deep with this interview tonight man I thought we were just going to talk about <laughs> I really knows me knows I, like know. this is the this is the statute like I don't drink but you know those memes like three drinks <laughs> get political or whatever and it's just like yeah that's just me on a normal day I was just I was just planning on breaking balls about bands that call themselves power violence and aren't and thanking you for actually playing, you know, power violence. So it's cool. And yeah, thought yeah. we would stick to that, you know, and but we're getting yeah, yeah. No, I like I like that too. Actually, plan. Two of like uh, you know, I've got a couple of members in my band who like they like more like melodic like metallic hardcore, like marauder and shit, um, and that kind of stuff, and um, or don't really know power violence, how like 
me and like you know our um, guitarist um, Kale. Um, he's he's done a power violence band um, called Sick Machine back in the day, um, and he likes likes Crossed Out and Infest and like Siege and shit like that. So and he, like he knows it um, and whatever, and he's in a bunch of bands too. Um, and uh, but yeah, so trying to explain to the people that don't really know it, like when we're writing, it's like. Um, yeah, you're trying to like educate, like that, that you know, like oh, you know, I'm I'm sure you're seeing bands that are calling themselves power violence. They have like maybe one or two songs that are like like what I would define other like the 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 musical structures of of a power violence song, but then the rest isn't. The rest is like base borderline beatdown or or like yeah. they're more hardcore. You know what I mean? Exactly. But then again. Like you know, genres and like culture is is not static. It it evolves and changes and moves. But that's why I've just always been really intentional not to say. Uh, sometimes we get called power violence, but I like to say we're power violence influenced rather. You know, because I yeah. I don't wanna, yeah. Because if I decide I want to be like, nah, I want a real fucking hard song that's like ignorant and that, and it doesn't really sound like how what I think power violence is, then I shouldn't really be calling myself that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that was one thing I was thinking of too, because like I do another podcast and I was talking on there about it because I played another power violence band recently, and it was the same thing we're talking about right now. I well, was what like, band was it called? So I, I forget what the I forget what the band was. Honestly, I'm sure by the end of the episode I'll remember. Oh, maybe it was yeah. the, the the past from Vermont because they just put a new LP out and I played one of okay. their songs. Um, but it's the same thing though. It's like you hear a lot of bands now that'll call themselves power violence, and I think it more just sounds cool to use that name. Like going back to what yeah. we were talking about before with the algorithms and shit, you know. And yeah. not to get too deep into a gatekeeper conversation, obviously, but yeah. I'm more I'm more agreeing with you and saying that, you know, maybe I should realize that the, the culture and the music's evolving, and maybe what was because I thought the term power violence was really cheesy 20 years ago too. You know what I mean? So maybe what we thought of back then. Have you ever heard like the description of what power, like the singer of Siege, like talked about power and violence and stuff? Fuck, I'll try and find it. Cause it's like, it's really interesting. It's like about how like, you know, as I, I think it was something like, I might, I'm probably, someone's probably gonna, sorry, my dog's just gone crazy. Um, but I'm probably gonna like bastardize this quote, but he's kind of talking about like how uh power is usually comes through violence you know from like state and stuff like that and that like we don't have power so we're taking that back or something like that it was something like really interesting like that and that's how they got power violence from and i thought that was really interesting yeah i never knew that i just we we thought the term was really cheesy in the, in the 90s and shit oh, My yeah i remember like when i was like 18 i was like yeah, that's kind of cool, but in my at the same time, it's like it's it's late. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, hardcore, yeah. hardcore, yeah. I can shit. It can be really goofy and lame as hell. You yeah, know? there's a bunch there's of weirdos, weird, just like yeah, weird, yeah. weird subgenres and shit. Um, so you mentioned bringing in somebody else who's an artist to the band. Then, so do you guys both handle the artwork now, or do you primarily handle that um, aspect of it? Primarily doing it, but um, because we're like because we've had the EP and it's been out for like like four or five months now. So um, we're kind of like thinking about what's our next step. We're probably thinking about like trying to write an album or something like that. So we're like, um, we're like thinking of like the visuals and stuff. Um, so I'm kind of bringing in both Scott and Jeff who are both um, more creative as well. Like um, Scott's sort of dabbling in art as well. Um, a bit more new to it, but he's dabbling. So like, I'm trying to get a bit more collaborative because 
um, as you guys can probably attest to, you know, if you're holding multiple hats in a band, it can be quite onerous at times. So, um, yeah, and I, I always like that collaborative approach too, you know. Um, so we're kind of thinking the direction. He hasn't done anything at the moment, but, like, definitely, like, he's a tattoo artist as well. So I wanted to get him to do some do some designs, maybe for some T-shirts and stuff. A lot of the designs, like, shirt designs I've done, uh, the two we've done are really, like, speak back to, like, South African history and, like, apartheid and stuff. So I had, like, a T-shirt where Black South Africans were burning their um, Dom Pass, which is, like, a was, like, a segregation passport. So if you were in a whites-only area and you were a black or coloured person, or like basically non-white, and you didn't have your pass and you didn't have a legitimate reason for being there, you would get arrested or shot or killed or whatever. So yeah, and that, like it's a, it's an image of them burning their passport as in defiance against apartheid regime. So I had that on a shirt. The next one we did recently, which is white, um, which was like we had to have the band discussion about you know where we're like more in you know power violence like do we want a white shirt and i'm like fuck me and scott love youth of today i want that fucking red <laughs> red um logo with a white shirt and like a black image like that's what we want that so come on we because we double both so anyway and that that image was um taken from a um and a political poster by the military arm of the um anc which is called the um um, conto we says where and it's basically like two arms like two armed people and saying like the the, the races shall not rule the people shall govern with some other stuff in it and i really took some of those elements and sort of tightened it up and and whatever and put on a shirt so that's the kind of like i like to always put a bit of my own history and culture into the bands um but really uh, we've been actually speaking i've been speaking to scott and jeff as well about like incorporating their own cultural influence as well um because yeah we, i just think that's important too but yeah i did lots of the lots of the design stuff but really keen to have a bit more of a collaborative approach with the rest of my band because yeah. yeah i just wanted to chime in i don't know how relevant this is but um uh, you know it's it's really interesting to hear about your family's history from south africa um right now in the united states i suppose all over the world we have this other problem that in some ways originates from south africa which is um elon musk um, and I sometimes wonder, like, yeah, I want my, Elon Musk. If you're listening to this podcast, I want my reparations. That emerald money should be mine and my people's. But like, how much? How much is is his experience being a wealthy white person from South Africa influencing the way he's operating Twitter and the policies on Twitter regarding racism and prejudice and hate speech? Um, yeah, it, it really it really makes me see like a connection between apartheid and you know, when, when in the United States, when I learned about it because of my age and just the way things are here, I, I kind of learned about it after the fact, like, oh, this, this terrible thing was happening in South Africa. But now I feel like, oh, here we got Elon Musk. He's in charge of this like big media company and he's enacting policies that are like, frankly, in my opinion, making people more racist. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's like, a, that's the thing as well. Like, um, I mean, I haven't released it yet, but like I wrote a song about like how, you know, uh, digital and like you know um digital platforms and forms of communication start becoming like microcosms of like social institutions so you know if we if we're if we have a globalized society that was built on colonialism um you know and and you know that's upheld like 
through post-colonialism, but I don't like to say post-colonialism because colonialism is a ongoing, you know, system and like phenomenon of a lot of indigenous uh, peoples, you know, so I don't like, I don't really like the term post-colonial, but, um, you know, we live in a world that had colonialism as a foundation for what we have is now the global West, you know what I mean? And that's up how that, that upholds white supremacy um, and things like that. So because, you know, a lot of these platforms are created, they, they're not, they're not creating a vacuum, you know, they, they are influenced by the, the cultural, the socio-cultural influences that has created them and then continues to feed them through algorithmic learning and picking up all the different like attitudes that we have in society. You know what I mean? Like the fact like AI social recognition is like super racist and stuff like that. You know, the fact they're using that in like in, in Israel, you know, which is a, is a, is a neo-apartheid regime, um, you know, and they're using like AI recognition and stuff like that. They're going to be implementing that in into supermarkets and stuff like that. If the algorithms are picking up on on like white supremacy, white supremacy, and that's getting fed through the algorithms, and we start implementing into into carceral systems, you know, like and using AI in the police force and stuff like that, we're going to further replicate and like further entrench racism from a systematic point of view into into our society as we go basically like a dystopian cyberpunk hellscape basically yeah yeah so it's just, it's like the tv show black mirror like we're like yeah. we've surpassed that, that show at this point and it's yeah i know even i like feel like that's why they're not making it they came back yeah. and then they went a bit retro and i'm like oh there's probably a reason why they went a bit retro because they're like fuck we don't have to talk about the future anymore it's here <laughs> yeah but um yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because, like, I mean, yeah, it just really depends because, I mean, I know in America, like, I always sort of pay attention a little bit about, like, um, the legislation that goes in America because, you know, with, like, multi-national um, corporations like Google and um, Google and, 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 like, Twitter and all those, like, all these, like, uh, tech companies and platforms and stuff like that, the legislation that happens in where you guys are, you know, directly like influences their behavior. And then that carries on to other, other countries because we, everyone uses it across the world. You know what I mean? Like almost most countries that have that privileged access to internet and stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting. Cause I reckon uh, also like um, I sometimes feel like Elon Musk is, he's a, he's a very political creature though, because he will like, you know, he was all about, um, you know, queer representation at the start, you know, like, you know, he was doing that for a time, but now that he, he after like, you know, with like the, the blatant bigotism and, 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 and racism and stuff that the Trump presidency um, sort of like emboldened a lot of things, it was always there, but, you know, I think, you know, that, that sort of him, his presidency emboldened this kind of stuff. And the online, like the risk, you know, with the the Reddit um, sort of subcultures of like neo-Nazism and fascism and all that kind of stuff has been, and the incel culture and that's all played out. He's kind of seen that he has a bigger fan base in like, you know, cause he's been easy, you know, he's across meme culture and stuff. And that really intersects with a lot of those, like really like those incelly, like fascist subcultures and stuff like that. He's kind of, he gets leverage off that and he's a political creature. So I think he's, he just, I think, I don't know if he like 
there's probably some, there's a lot of probably like subconscious or maybe conscious racism as well. But I sometimes feel like he just gravitates towards what's going to benefit him because now he's like, well, sis is a slur on my platform. But then years ago, he was like fighting people being like, uh, you know, like Tesla was like representing um, queer people and stuff like that. But the same as like every corporate or corporation, um, you know, during Pride Month, they're like, yeah, queers, yeah. And then J- July 1st is like, nah, fuckers. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like he's a very corporate and political animal. So he, I don't know if it's necessarily like overt racism and it's more just a symptom of him being opportunistic in, you know, where he sees his most, um, uh, not voter base, but I can't think of the, the word, you know, he's, where he's going to get his clout from, I guess, yeah. That's just my thoughts. Some you guys can like refute or whatever. You no, know? no, I I think I totally agree with you about him. Um, that he's just kind of like, you know, an opportunist who's uh, trying to collect influence and 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 make more money. Um, he, yeah, I, I really have such a big problem with him, and it's it's sad because at first he was like talking about a lot of stuff about like re- reducing like fossil fuel emissions and, you know, making battery technology more more viable yeah. and like that that all. Like that resonates. And then, yeah, with but me. Then, yeah, I think that's the thing though, because like that's the thing where like when you've like you know people will promise those things and it's like a bit like seductive, but then when the reality sets in and you know he's trying to start coups in in certain countries to get access to mining mm-hmm. and he doesn't really care about like child labor laws and all that kind of stuff because it directly impacts his supply lines to the product that he's selling. He's just a capitalist, you know, like he's going to yeah. like, he, he, he goes progressive to a point and he's like, okay, cool. Like I'm doing this because I think this is important. But then as, as soon as it stops his, his product being sold, then he switches. You know, oh, that's just, it, it seems like like Tesla's kind of fallen off the radar in the United States, yeah. at least um, like for a while, they were like the only electric car company. But now there's a lot of competition. And yeah, I think know, it's, it's like, like in Australia, there's I think most people are buying Teslas now and stuff like that. But we're just getting we're in a liberal island. You know, sometimes things supply lines take a bit longer for us. So, you know, we probably a bit behind technology wise in terms of the, the diversity of the, the free market. Um, until you know maybe a, year, a few years like up to five years later yeah so but um yeah let's shift away from uh uh worldwide uh known douchebags and get back into bad ashes. um how'd you guys hook up with uh to live a lie is a u.s based label right north Carolina. yeah yeah that was um yeah so we got on them which was like really cool i remember speaking to ahmed when we first started and we were like look you know we start this band it's going to be power lines influence like if we could get on a label like on like labels who'd be like the top five and to live a lie was in was um one of them i basically just hustled and was like sent emails to a whole bunch of people and will at to live a lie was he was like i really like you know what you guys are about like it sounds sick um like i really yeah i'm i'm keen to to give you a chance so yeah we kind of like teed up with him um to do to do the record he like pressed all the tapes um due to supply lines and like and wait times in america um it was quicker and uh quicker and maybe a bit cheaper to do the records here because in melbourne we have a vinyl pressing plant we only have i think we have like oh actually no we have one big one which is zenith and then i think there's a few smaller ones popping up um i've spoken to the pressing plant guy one time and they were explaining that um 
you know, after with the advent of the CD, most vinyl pressing plants and stuff like that would just just chuck out their machines and they moved to CDs and stuff. So like, you know, vinyls or it was like a, cause it was a dying sort of art, I guess. But now with the resurgence of vinyl, people are like either trying to find those old machines or building new ones, you know? So there's a bit of a resurgence, but like, yeah, they, they were one of the few that have like had them for, for quite a while. So um, yeah, we pressed the vinyl here. Um, but yeah, it's been really nice. He's been really um, accommodating and, and whatnot. It's just been a really honor to to be on, on a label that we really um, that like most of us really respect or know. Um, not everyone in the band knows like to live a lie bands or anything like that. But for me especially, it was like yeah, it was when I got the reply and he was like yeah, that sounds cool and and whatever. I was like hell yeah, this is sick, you know. Like um, it was cool, yeah. So it was really it's yeah, it's really nice to do that. It's always interesting trying to. Uh, a band outside of Australia obviously speed's a bit of an exception and like you know there was I think like with in, when in miles away is like day there was a bit more of a direct connection between America and Australia I think there still is a little bit but not how established it was in the 2000s um, you know so it's interesting to try and like break out into the American market um, as you said as well what we we're talking about before you know like just there's so many bands and you know whatnot. I think the scarce resource scarcity sometimes makes it easier for bands to like make a name for themselves, you know, like you can gain a reputa reputation and then because there's not a lot of bands that sound like you or or whatever, or you're doing something that's um different or like something that I haven't heard before. And you know, you've got these little scenes and everyone sort of like, you know, there's hardcore's not everywhere, you know, so you sort of you didn't take it for granted. I feel like with the oversaturation, a lot of people take it for granted um, with how much music there is. And everyone's, you know, for one band, there's like fucking 50 bands doing the same thing. You know what I mean? So that makes it hard. But it's been a really pleasure to, to, to you know, as a bucket list thing to tick off that I'm like, yeah, cool. We got on like American label and, you know, on one that we really respect. And, you know, because, you know, to live a live release, I uh, can't remember all the bands, but, you know, there's quite a few, I think, uh, yeah, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but you know, there's a lot of bands on there that I that I, I like and enjoy. Um, so yeah, it's been really great. So yeah, it was just me just emailing people because I'm a stubborn bastard. <laughs> so yeah. it seems like bands haven't really done seven inches quite as much in recent years. Like, was that a conscious decision for you guys to go in that direction, or? Uh, I think it's probably just me being a bit more old hat and being like, do the demo tape and do the EP. It's a Powerlands record, so we can fit about eight songs onto a record, a seven inch. It's me, P. It's not an album, so like we'll just do a seven inch. Yeah, I did toss up the idea of doing like just tapes, but I thought, nah, I like the idea of doing a seven because like you know, visuals and album covers are really important, and like a tape, you can't put a lot on there. You know, it's pretty limiting to what you can do. Um, and I was just like the square aspect of like, you know, you get more and then, you know, with an LP, you get more as well again. But, you know, it just, I just was like, the next step is in a seven inch, you know? So Yeah, I'll, I'll probably lose a lot of scene cred, but I don't have a working turntable at this point, but I still buy vinyl because I want to support the bands and I'm listening to them, frankly, on the streaming sites or on yeah. iTunes or whatever. I'm like, anyway. I'm like the same. It's, as I said before, you know, like, taking the time to sit and listen to a record, you know, like everyone's really busy, um, you know, and some of maybe some of the 
the, the behavioral influences that we were talking about before. You know, a lot of people don't have the time or the capacity really just to, to sit down and listen to a record. You actually really have to take, you know, take the time and be like, yeah. And also, you know, the older you get, the more responsibilities you are, the busier you are, you know, that kind of stuff. I think like uh, sitting down, listening to records, a young man's pursuit, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, you know, you got a casual job or, you, you know, you're on like uni break or something. You've got like, you know, you're, the world's your oyster. You've got a lot of, more time to sit down and, and I put a record on, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think I sit down and just listen to an album since I've had kids because I don't have the time for that. So what I do yeah. now, the way I consume my hardcore is I, uh, this is actually very topical because yeah. just today, I was in the car with my kids and I'm like, all right, we'll listen to like one song from the Bluey album. And then we're going to listen to a song from the Envision album. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Imagine it sitting down. That's not even, I don't, I'm a stay at home dad. <laughs> and I, I tell my girlfriend all the time and, and I, I sit down for maybe five minutes, like at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you know like, what I mean? You do so, like the Homer, the Homer slaps like sleep. Yeah, you know? it's crazy. <laughs> it's never, it's never a dull moment. So that's the, the, we have a turntable in our living room and I couldn't tell you guys the last time I put vinyl on either. So I, I get it, but I also have listened to, I'm not going to say the amount of hardcore new releases this year, but it's a ridiculous amount. Um, but the oversaturation thing is definitely, a, obviously, uh, I, I'm well aware of that by listening to all this stuff, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um, but one thing that I think goes back to what you and Greg were talking about with the digital aspect is I think by being so oversaturated with literally thousands of hardcore bands right now is that like there's more good hardcore coming out now. Yeah, in my opinion, yeah we were talking about that. Yeah, well, I was talking about that with a few people recently that like, um, you know, there was a time when I was coming up that you could, you could play a show and you could sound absolutely dog shit and people would be like, Oh, I kind of like what they're doing. I'm keen to see their progression nowadays with the oversaturation and like, and what we're talking about, about having a very marketable, well packaged product as a band, you have to like, you have to have everything. You have to have the, the, the logo sorted. You have to have the, if you're doing a certain genre, you have, you know, unless you want to go and be, do something completely different and sort of, change it up um you know everything has to be like yes to sound really polished or re like at least re well recorded you have to have a logo you know you have to have like a really good curated like social media presence like all that kind of stuff if you don't have those things a lot of people will dismiss it and i think of the younger generation they're used to seeing really curated content from like influences and just the way that social media has like pushed everything. I mean, I fucking, when I first got Instagram, I remember the crappy like Polaroid filters and shit, you know, like people were like, why are you on Instagram and stuff, you know, just taking a photo of my food and shit. If I ever, like I talk to kids that are like 19, 20 and they're like, yo, what the fuck? You know, like that kind of like uh, reject modernity, embrace tradition. Sometimes I'll post that while I'm posting a photo of my food because, you know, it's just like, you know, that's what Instagram was for back in the day. But it's just really interesting because, yeah, if you don't have that really well-packaged product as a band, sometimes it just gets lost and you don't really have that luxury to be able to, to find your sound. It's really, you've got to know what you're doing straight away. And I feel like that's, sometimes I feel like that's a bit of a shame because like, you know, if we're talking about, that unfortunately, you know, not everyone has that capacity or, you know, younger people getting in bands and stuff. They don't have the, um, they don't have that leeway and that like time to really like define themselves and really like 
formulate themselves into like artists and stuff like that they have to like really rush into being a really marketable product whereas like and that sort of again comes comes to like that's also going to aggravate um not aggravate um accelerate those sort of like inequalities you we have you know like um you know no one's gonna if one starts a band they're gonna start it now and they want to do it really good they don't want to train like they don't want to like teach like maybe there's a uh, like a woman in the scene that like you know they've been kind of learning bass but they're not that good but they want to start a band you know they don't have that time to like someone's going to be like oh, i want to do a band they're not going to be like oh, i'm gonna like i oh, unless they're like really good friends and they take the time or whatever like you know if you're just looking for members you're going to go with the established people so you can have that really well polished product you're not going to give that person a chance or you know or you know so a lot of like marginalized people i think also in that realm will get pushed out as well because you're just going to reach for what is there and already established and unfortunately in hardcore times it's just a bunch of white guys you know like um you know i mean we it is very we are a lot more diverse than we were i mean we've always been diverse but i think the representation's higher but i still sometimes in our local scenes that can happen that can play out still the, you know that the strive to be like we've got to have a really good product we're going to overlook a lot of people that we should be giving a go because like you know and we lose that community aspect of hardcore as well and giving people the opportunity you know think about like uh, a lot of bands like you know in the 80s and stuff they just kind of threw things together or they'd give a you know give people a chance and and it wouldn't sound that good but then then they became legendary you know what i mean i think yeah. we lose that as well yeah, I go back and look at like Black Flag stuff and like their album art and like their merch and stuff. And like that was top tier in the 80s. That was like the best yeah. there was. And if a band came out and had like some of the album art or some of the merch they have now, people would be like, oh, this is like kind of like, you know, needs, needs a little work or something. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, and then you can see that kind of like older mentality being like, what the fuck? You know, like who cares? Like, yeah, you I, know, and they're still they're still like in that mind of back in the day. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we're in in a really curated society now, thanks to like thanks to like online platforms and stuff like that. So, yeah. One thing that makes me nervous about all that, speaking of the online platforms and the fifteen minute uh, idea that we live in now, is like, are people like losing sight of like where hardcore came from? You know what I mean? Like, because now yeah, hardcore yeah. is so popular now and people are obviously getting into it through certain popular bands are they then doing their homework and seeing like how this all started and looking back on all the old new york bands like all yeah you know i, I think, mean like all the 80s yeah bands? yeah i get that i think that you always like think that they're going to go mainstream or you have more accessibility due to like online spaces and the accessibility of hardcore you're always going to get that like a bit like I remember the, the explosion of like metalcore and emo back in the day and a lot of kids didn't know that but if you have if you have well-meaning people in the in the scene that are like willing to like like not fucking gatekeep like and be like yo this new kid's coming in or whatever like oh have you checked out this band like I've done it quite a few times when I've like seen some kid rock a shirt you know I'm like oh yeah cool do you like this band like if you like that band have you they sound like this or they were influenced by that back in the day you know i think if you've if you got people in the scene that are willing to like give people a chance and like are really community conscious and whatever i think uh even if the kids aren't like exposed to that kind of stuff and they are coming to shows they're not like really knowledgeable but they're not doing the homework because you can't always expect everyone to do their homework i guess um uh 
so especially with the oversaturation of the of the bands you know like it's not like how it was where you could be like okay um you know you would like uh for example you know like i guess the first step and then they did like you know i know they've cut like they covered betray in like minor threat song and then you could like you'd be like done like that like you can do it like that but like you know, uh, or even just looking at the fonts, like for, for like youth group band, you could be like, oh, okay, that was like this or, and then you talk to people and you could find it. Um, there was like a less of a gap. Now we're in like, I don't know what era or generation of hardcore are in, but the more you get, the more generations you have, the farther removed you are from the roots of the thing. You know what I mean? So I think like having people situated within the community that like hold that information, but they don't, they don't want to hold it for themselves as some sort of misguided superiority complex then if they're doing that then you're actually gonna you're gonna educate people and then you're gonna keep those roots relevant and stuff like that and if they don't like it they don't like it but like you know like also don't write them off because like yeah as i said before like culture is a is a ongoing progressive phenomenon it's not a static thing and i think a lot of we all are guilty of thinking of culture as a static entity I, I still don't know how to use it, but I'm fairly confident in saying that we are in the TikTok era of hardcore. Uh, I'm contemplating, I was like, contemplating, do, I, do we get TikTok? I'm definitely thinking of like, I've been thinking about like, uh, also like, you know, like music videos and stuff, like for a while, for a long time, when in my twenties, you know, being a real crucial corpsman, I was like, fucking videos, what the fuck? What are we like? Well, like, what is that? Like corporate kind of sellout shit? Like, fuck that. Like, I just want to see like live clips and shit. Like, uh, <laughs> um, you know, like the floor punch Euro tour video, <laughs> video and shit. Like, I like seeing like shit like that. I, like, you know, Hype by Six has been good uh, to capture like that accessibility for things like that. But like, to me, that was like, that was the extent you would do for like video content having music videos is very like corporate mainstream, like bigger bands would do that, you know, and music videos um, that were like with, um, you know, corporate record labels. So I was like, that's not hardcore. What, like, what? That's not, but now, you know, uh, with all the platforms moving to, to video based, um, uh, you know, content rather than image based, like, you know, Instagram was image based. Now it's moving, it's trying to compete with, it was trying to compete with Vine and, and now TikTok and stuff like that, it's, you know, moving to video content. I'm like, fuck, I, we need, like, I'm like, always like, did anyone get videos from the show? Like, I'm mindful, fuck, I'm going to post, like, I'm going to post a reel or or maybe we should do a music video. And as an artist, like, I I like the creative idea of, like, because I love film and stuff too. So that's kind of cool. So I think that's, um, it gives you more avenues to be creative, but also trying to put out a music video is expensive, you know, like you're talking about a couple of grand to do that properly. You know, that's a lot of money for just working class people. <laughs> I know the cost of living is fucking ridiculous. Go to the shop and buy like some for like five items and it's like fucking 60 bucks. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And that's that's in Australia, you know, where we're not as half capitalist as you guys. Like fucking hell, I can't imagine what it's like with you guys. I'm, I shouldn't complain. I've, I've got some some semblance of universal health healthcare and shit. I can, you know, like oh, yeah, that no, kind we don't have any of that here. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Get, I'm like, you no, get I shouldn't complain, but you, you get know. cancer and you don't have health insurance. You're like having a bake sale to and pay for your. There's a reason why Breaking Bad is a story. You know, yeah, if Australia yeah. or Canada or something, it wouldn't even exist. But like, here you go, Walter White. You know, have have some healthcare. That's it. You wouldn't have to be a meth 
deal <laughs> anyway yeah no yeah. i inflation's nuts and i just did the math like today because we had sundays like a day i do band practice and podcast and like i go through like 30 dollars worth of drumsticks uh like every band practice because they're so expensive now yeah that's crazy but yeah i yeah i think yeah videos definitely uh something i've been thinking about yeah you know, it's just- it's, it's- it's funny you mention it too, though, because I remember, I can't remember where I heard this interview, but it was, it was Colin from Colin of Arabia. And he was yeah. talking about how they're making songs now, basically tailor made, like their band are going to write a song that's like tailor made for Instagram, like a 15 second long song that you could put in a reel. Well, I'm, I'm in like a power, so I got, I got no worries, you know. Like <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I get that. I, get that aspect, I mean, but short form is probably like, good for the genre I'm playing, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to play metal or anything or like yeah. metal, like doom or yeah. anything like that. You know, it, but, it'd be interesting to see what um, social media short form like content does to do the genre of doom music. It's just crazy to think that people are like thinking about it like that now, especially yeah. people like him who I would never think would think like that, but yeah. it makes sense. Cause it goes along with everything you were just saying, you know what I mean? Like, and I want to say what I always say when we talk about like the gatekeeper shit on here, that, I'm definitely for obviously hardcore getting bigger. I mean, we have a, I have two podcasts and I'm booking shows now in Rochester again. So like, I like the fact that hardcore is getting bigger. I'm 42. So I probably personally won't walk up to like the 16 year olds and try to, like get them more into this i mean i'm a youth worker so i kind of yeah. like i've got that skill in the bag but i'm also very mindful like you know who i approach because yeah. like uh, you know they're just that that just that those like dynamics power imbalances yeah. you know just how it looks you know as well so yeah i totally get that but i think yeah uh i think yeah i think like i think there is some important of keeping like the integrity of hardcore i think that's the main thing that you know if people can try to uh, bestow onto new people um either coming into the scene you know um is is really important i think you know like you know i like you know as as you've probably gathered like you know like me making a conscious decision not to really like like have power violence on any of our merch really like on our socials instead of being like power violence like that's that's like little gatekeepery because i'm like i you know i come from a time when like genres subgenres like meant something you know what i mean so i still like i still got that in me and i still think that's in important because you sort of as you said like recognizing the history and and that kind of stuff and just respecting like sort of cultural roots of different sounds and genres and the people that made those things but um yeah i don't know well i i feel like we'll be okay because we have a term gatekeeping now and it gets called out all the time and i feel like yeah. that makes it a little bit more accessible for people who are just getting into it yeah. you know i, do I think worry. i think even sorry i i'm really bad at interrupting because i just like i thought no, so no go finish. for it sorry. this is your interview I, just, I, I think like yeah i think uh like gatekeeping can be bad but i think also like what it what can be worse than gatekeeping is like you know, the social silos and the clicks and like, you know, people thinking like their band is better than yours and like, and just really like the, all those sort of values that sort of uh, unfortunately can become institutions within the hardcore scene, but they're like at a detriment to the, to the, to the, also the, to the DIY and like community aspect that makes hardcore and punk, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the, the antithesis of those values, but they're still a part of hardcore at the same time. And they kind of compete a lot of the time. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I remember like in the early 2000s, I was in an old school hardcore band, a vegan straight edge band. Um, you know, we were influenced by you know bands like Atari, 
Um, yeah, oh, you know, I've, that, got the, I've got the Atari demo. I fucking yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you should check out X Witness X. Um, right. But like right. at that point in time, I felt a lot of pressure where it was like, if you're into old school hardcore, you're only into old school hardcore. You're not listening to metalcore. You're not listening to any other subgenre of hardcore. And it feels like that's eased up a little bit. Um, yeah, 100%, I, which is good. I will say I though, like, once like my, my wife likes to watch a reality tv show i should say she likes to hate watch reality tv show like she doesn't take it seriously but like i came across a, a picture of one of the kardashians wearing an agnostic front shirt and i'm just like i like gatekeep the fuck out of that and Damn. i was like fuck this i don't want anything hardcore anywhere near fuck, fuck, like, family. fuck rich people like they yeah. eat- all the scorn you can muster there's a reason they're fucking parasites there's a reason but, why but these people it's have travis barker's shirt you know I mean? give her give her a break no I know, I know i know i know and travis barker's got there's... credibility and he's legit you know he's not, not, not not people the rich. i don't know if i call him legit but i'm just saying it's his shirt so it is what it is like my girlfriend doesn't listen to hardcore but uh I bet she's probably she's worn some of my shirts before, so I'm guessing she probably might have worn a hardcore shirt. She's not on a reality show, obviously, but you know. Well, my guess uh, is Travis Barker probably actually listens to Agnostic Front. But my point, my point I wanted to make was, I after I like talked all that shit on it, I know full well if we're still doing this podcast in ten years, because I've said a bajillion fucking times I got into hardcore because I saw Beavis and Butthead make fun of Sick of It All's video for Step Down, and I know so many people who got into hardcore and punk because of. Tony Hawk pro skater and yeah. 10 years from now we're going to interview someone they're like yeah I never heard of hardcore but then I saw like the Kardashians yeah. wearing an agnostic front shirt and then I got all in on that 100% that's like yeah and that's the power of like marketing and stuff like that and like with uh, like a really celebrity and influencer focused like culture these days like you know I mean any sort of exposure is good exposure to an extent but also fuck rich people <laughs> so <laughs> they shouldn't exist you know like millionaires shouldn't exist but um yeah yeah that's funny well i'm gonna shout out rancid for helping me get into hardcore and i'm probably gonna have a full circle moment with them in a few months uh seeing them in boston so um i want to i want to make sure though because we've been jumping around this interview a lot um babylon's ashes eight tracks right yeah it's eight tracks i think eight tracks one two three uh let's just make sure we go we talk about all the pertinent information on the ep real quick before we jump through the rest of the interview um yeah yeah babylon seven inch to live a lie or did anybody else uh, don't to live a lie and um and there was like us and to live a lie i guess um because it was sort of like a 50 50 deal um yeah to live a lie um records uh eight tracks um yeah, mainly. Do you want to talk about like the lyrical stuff? Is that what you want to talk about, or just? I feel like we've talked about like your your what you're into and shit. But if you want to talk a few a few about the lyrical things, oh, obviously that would be yeah. A couple a lot of th- like couple of things like the first song is called "The Wretched of the Earth." So if people don't know uh, "The Wretched of the Earth," that's a book by Franz Fanon, who's basically the godfather of decolonization theory. So um, I put a lot of uh, a lot of lyrics, uh, like a lot of the lyrics is like anti-racist and experience of racism um, and things like that. Um, you know, I've got like the revolution will not be televised, which is um, Gil Heron Scott. Um, and then I've got a song called White Tears that always causes, that's always caused a bit of, uh, when I talk about that song in the scene, as much as the scene is, it can be pretty diverse. Um, some people get pretty upset about that song. Um, but yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you like how you guys are received, um, like lyrically within, within the community, 
Um, like in the United States, if, it seems like f- I, f- for the most part, people have been pretty anti-racist in the hardcore and punk scene, but it's mostly yeah, just yeah. like white people talking to other white people. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think with like with Persecutor, like I've like because when I'm, when we started the band, I was like, you know, I want to be like the vibe of like. I mean, we were really influenced by like Coke Bus and Barge and stuff, like like musically um, at the start um but like from like a vibe i was like i want a lost crudos vibe i want to be like yo we're the fucking like you know that fucking diverse bands and we're going to speak about this real shit like that we feel and whatever and we don't give a fuck what you think you know what i mean and definitely carried that influence there was a band in australia called dispossessed as well which is a bit more of a metal metal influence band um and they were kind of the same vibe like um, whatever, and they're really, really anti-colonial. They had like indigenous members, and they had like they were all POC and that kind of stuff. Um, so like when I say indigenous, they were like Aboriginal um, Australian, um, and yeah, like so they really influenced as well. Like I did a design for them like way back and stuff. Some Nazi getting like fucking cruci- like some like burnt and like had a Australian flag shoved in their mouth as a gag anyway it was pretty full-on but um so yeah I kind of like really wanted that vibe of like Lost Crudos and stuff where they were, and like Race Trader and stuff where they were just like yo fuck fuck you like this is my time to talk I'm you know I said the other night at a show you know this band's for people of color like I'm tired of seeing like the same the same white motherfuckers on stage all the time talking about beige issues with lyrical depth like as deep as a white wall you know like shit like that like so that sometimes when I talk about stuff um it gets a bit funny like the white tears one I've talked to when we've talked about it like someone did a sig hail once when we did that because like I felt like they were getting defensive and they were trying to be edgy they did that shit we didn't see it at the time but someone in the crowd was like yo this happened and whatever but we didn't find out who it was and then like there's been uh there was some talk around the time that people were getting it like a lot of people were getting confronted about it but i think a lot of the time the way i talk about the songs is it's from you know my experience of racism and then i'm talking about racism from a systematic point of view not like the really like liberal idea that you a racist is the caricature of evil of a kkk member like a neo-nazi whatever and i think like and i talk about that sometimes and i just talk about racism as a systematic thing and that means everyone has to do the work myself included like i talk about that i'm like i have internalized racism we live in a racist society which means everyone is racist and so when i'm talking about that sometimes it's hard because it doesn't feel good you know what i mean like it it's you have to do the work to do that and so when I'm talking about this, sometimes I think sometimes it's less palatable um, than other bands. You know, some other bands will be like, yo, like fuck racism, punch a punch a proud boy, punch it like, you know, kill a hang a KKK, you know, like all that kind of stuff, which is fine. But you're only you're only responding and reacting into the really the 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 symptom of racist structures. They're like they're the most obscene like extreme end of the spectrum of what a culture fosters. You know what I mean? It's not the actual like day to day where like, you know, uh, like, I mean, I have like a, I've, my Geeksman is my last name, which is like a South African name from like, I think it originates from like Holland or something like that um, because of my, because of the, the colored heritage um, with like, you know, like a Dutch uh, colonizer and like, and, and all that kind of stuff. But like, if I didn't have that last name and I had to put a photo if I had like more of like a, like an African sounding name or something like that, or like an Arabic sounding name and I had to take a photo of myself and put it on there, like 
an employer, I've, I've, I'm a youth worker and I've worked in youth work for over 10 years and I've done employment where I've had to like, you know, people have asked me, should I change my name? You know what I mean? Because like, am I, is it going to affect my job? Because that's what other job agencies have told me. And I've told them like, no, I said, if you yeah. change your name and then go into a job for that and you're compromising yourself and your own identity and whatever like that, and you're doing that to get a job, fuck working in that workplace because it's going to be unsafe for you. You know what I mean? So there's all these kind of like day-to-day things that happen to people um, of all just of all these experiences that I'm like, that I'm sort of uh, want to talk about and explore. And a lot of the time that's not really, yeah, as I said before, it's not really palatable and it's like hard for people to stomach because it means like I've got to look at myself and be like how I'm actually like contributing to this rather than like, I mean, like, yeah, let's go punch some Nazis and then we'll let's feel good about ourselves because we're the good guys. And like, you know, that, that very like binary, like good and evil kind of thing is like really outdated thinking. Um, and but it's, it's the most easy to do because it's a, a lot of it self gap self self uh, gratitory you know like you pat yourself on the back because you're like doing stuff and it's not not important i'm not trying to dismiss any of those kind of things but talking about that rather than talking about like do internalize work in yourself is like is can be quite difficult yeah so yeah so it's, it's interesting a lot of people love us and then uh and then some people have a have problem have a have an issue with that you know so I'm not nearly as in touch with my cultural heritage as, as it sounds like you are. And I, I only did that. Really- like, yeah. I only did that because like, I didn't grow up with my dad um, due to like uh, parental alienation and, and divorce and separation and stuff like that. So when like, and then growing up in a really like a uh, rural uh, country town, um, like it had a 95% Anglo-Saxon demographic when I was growing up and I was the darkest person you know, and I had African heritage, but also I'm not the darkest person. And also a colored South African person is mixed race of indigenous and black and, and Indian and whatever. It's basically the, uh, the physical embodiment of colonial and slavery within South Africa, basically is a colored South African person, basically. Um, but yeah, so like being racially ambiguous and stuff, like I'm not the darkest person and I haven't like, you know, I, I, I got a bit of racism, like uh, not a bit, but like, you know, I've had racist experiences when I was a kid getting called the N word and stuff like that. Oh, also sometimes I'll, I'll use the N word on stage and in Australia, it's kind of like people get really weirded about it. I think like it would be different. I think, I don't know. Sometimes I think the band that we do, it'd probably be a bit more understood if we, we if, if we were in America, because like there's a lot more, diversity and historical diversity you know like you know there's a african-american population that was there since the founding founding of america you know that kind of stuff um you know you guys have segregation and and whatnot as like and all those kind of things but australia had white australia policy which was basically a policy up until the 70s i think it was until they excluded people of like even like italians and things like that like anyone that wasn't european or uk couldn't come to australia so like we have those cultural legacies within Australia. So we have a lot of like really ingrained like racism within Australia. Whereas like some, you know, you've got, a, you, America's got like a really diverse, um, you know, African-American population and a Latin American population and things like that. So I feel like, um, yeah, sometimes I'll be, I, I always think sometimes I'll be like, oh, I wonder how, you know, some of the stuff I talk about would be, um, uh, received there compared to here but it's been nice lately because we've been touring Australia a little bit uh, not overly but just, you know we went to Queensland recently we've done Sydney and I speak to like um, 
Indigenous people um, and people of colour. And I have really nice um, conversations sometimes where people are like, oh, I've never really been to a show where people were speaking and I can relate to it so much and I feel validated and seen, you know what I mean? Like there's been times where people have like told me this kind of stuff and like, you know, um, and like almost start crying a bit because it kind of like, um, it's really why I started the band because I, was, I wasn't seeing people that look like me up on stage. Um, um, and talking about the issues. I've done bands before, but as I said before, I was sort of talking about issues, but they were very like um, removed from myself. They were, like this is, this Persecuted is a very personal band for me because it's, I'm finally sort of really talking about the, those personal experiences that I've carried with that. You know, like the fact that like, mm, you know, you go to a show and you don't see anyone, you know, or I, uh, like I don't see anyone that looks like me or, or anyone that kind of can relate to the same experiences. And that reinforces those sort of like those sort of ongoing earlier traumas of like of being alienated when I was a child, you know, or being, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, it's really nice to hear that, like, you know, you know, when we talk about like be the be the adult that you wanted as mm-hmm. a kid, you know, I feel like this is for, as a band. This is what this band is for me. You know, being a, a bit of a misfit kid um, and not really, and just like liking hardcore, but it was, it, can, it could be very white um, and not really hearing that, like hearing those sort of diverse voices. I'm um, not saying they weren't there, but just didn't have access to them um, and sort of just playing that music for people um, and for myself as well. Yeah. I think well, that's. Thing- the, oh. no, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. I, I, th- I think that's, I think that's. A really beautiful thing and i think that you and, and and others using hardcore to share that personal message and that experience that you've lived is what's going to keep hardcore relevant into the distant future um you know as places like america become more diverse and less white um for me that's somewhat my relationship with hardcore and in part my relationship with this podcast is i've wanted to have like an authentic like a platform where i can speak about my experience um, you know, with substance abuse, my experience with childhood abuse and childhood trauma, um, you know, because my one of the things that I loved about hardcore was finding bands where people were like talking about the life they had lived and the yeah. ugly parts and and how it had value to them. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I just uh, yeah. I think that's um, it's, yeah, it is really valuable. And that's the beautiful thing about like hardcore and punk and stuff like that is it gives that accessibility to people that you know like i mean you know i always say that like you know punk and hardcore is like the music for the every man you know kind mm-hmm. of thing or like, you know when i say every man i mean like you know that general philosophical term of every person um you know that like if you you know uh if you if you have things you want to talk about then it gives you that platform to be able to talk about it um and stuff like that so yeah it's really good to it's yeah it's nice always hearing that like it still is like that because you know the more it gets a bit more mainstream or you know the bit more corporate or the more there's more money behind it and stuff like that mm-hmm. and we've had errors of that you know the 90s was big like that as well um you know and and whatnot um you know that it's like even if we having that you know we're having those sort of phenomena where there's it can worry that it's going to be too commercialized there's still those elements that you know it still gives people a platform to really talk about serious things um and stuff like that josh sorry you had some insights you wanted to share before i interrupted everyone no i think i was actually getting ready to uh let you guys know i think we've been kind of going at it for a little while now um 
Tyrone, is there anything we didn't touch on with the record or anything like that that you'd want to touch on before we start wrapping things up? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I'm sort of really happy with how the record came out. Um, and just, yeah, thanks again to, to Will It To Live A Lie for sort of trusting a really like a, a small, like, like small unknown kind of band that I'm putting on his uh, label. So, um, and thanks to you guys as well for, for, for having me on the podcast as well. Um, yeah, be hope you know. Hopefully, people in America can like listen to it and get something out of it. Um, as I said, um, you know, I'd be interested to talk to um, uh, American people of color and see if they have that same sort of like um, related um, experience and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, think uh, yeah. The basically persecute is just about is for people of color. That's like the main thing for for some first and foremost is that it's for people of color and anyone that is really just wanting to to hear more diverse diverse voices yeah where can people go to check out your music find you on social media yeah uh so just the standard like you know spotify Bandcamp, um and then we have our instagram which is persecutor punks with an x um yeah and we update that regularly uh me and the other members on there pretty regular so if you want to chat um we're not going to stonewall you i know you know um, i know some bands that like that where you like try and message them and they just give you nothing which is fair you know everyone has their boundaries and and capacity and stuff like that but yeah we're, we're always pretty chatty you probably gathered that by this podcast <laughs> as well um but yeah always happy to to chat to people i think that's yeah that's always a part of the the good thing about hardcore and that's something that i've always liked you know you know i think going to the days where you you could maybe see spot someone in the street and see they're wearing a terror shirt and be like, yo, I like hardcore too. And you'd have this camaraderie. I think that's maybe not like that anymore, but I still feel like that, you know, the music still brings people together of different walks of life and, and things like that. And that's really nice. Um, so yeah, kudos to you guys for, for doing this podcast as well. I feel like that's another element of that, that, you know, you guys are getting all like experience, exposing different bands and stuff and and whatever and we we as someone in a band we really appreciate this kind of stuff as well the hardcore archive podcast is josh lyons and greg benoit with creative support from rob antonucci this podcast is a product of the rochester hardcore community theme song provided by stand fast visit hardcore archive podcast on linktree to listen to past episodes Follow Hardcore Archive Podcast and Enterprise Hardcore Podcast on Instagram for updates. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to have your band's music featured during the closing credits, please contact us at hardcorearchivepodcast at gmail.com.